You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewinds, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA razzle-dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. Thank you for joining us here on the NWSL Rewind, back for week three of the NWSL season, uh, coming off of international break. So we, we missed all of you for a week, but we are here again, ready to discuss the league uh, going forward and seeing what how the games were. Um, four games at the weekend and a massive slate of games coming up as well. So part, pretty big show next week as well. But for this week, we have added a co-host. Holly Hine is here with us. Uh, how you doing, Holly? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No problem, no problem at all. So we've we've invited Holly to come and share about the games this week. Sierra's still with us. Say hello, Sierra. Hello. As always, can't can't do it without <laughs> Sierra. Um, but Holly, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, why you are on the show this week? Why you felt like you wanted to get on and uh, share your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am currently coaching in Michigan for a youth soccer club, uh, but I love watching the NWSL. Uh, I played briefly in the league um, and just um, have been a fan ever since. So um, really enjoying coaching and kind of analyzing the game. So it's a great forum to do so watching all the NWSL games. Uh, so excited to be here. Yeah, so we've got a little inside scoop for everybody. Uh, and we we may, just as a bit of a teaser, we may have Holly talk about her time in the league at some point down the line. So uh, look out for that as well. So we will get right into it. Um, jump in both feet forward. So first game up today, Washington Spirit versus North Carolina Courage uh, in a six-goal burner. Uh Things kind of changed as it went a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, it looked like maybe this was going to be a a day for an upset for Washington, um, but it wasn't to be. North Carolina stays perfect uh, throughout the first three games and doesn't look like they're going to be slowing down quite yet. Uh, I mean, for me, I think the game for North Carolina was, apart from the third-minute goal from Pew which was a bit of a defensive breakdown. Maybe the pressure wasn't quite ready to get involved right from the jump and just dealing with Pew's pace and dealing with now she's actually starting to collect the ball a little bit more uh, and, and impact herself into a game. But I thought the defense for North Carolina was actually, even though they scored four goals, it was very stout defense. Um, and for me, the compactness in their system it has been the difference between last year, which seemed to be just an offensive juggernaut, uh, and this year where defensively they're just staying more inside of themselves. And Ersing and Dahlkemper and Hinkle, they're all just really kind of playing on the same page now where there's not much gaps for players and, and teams to get through. Yeah, I think they – I mean, they are probably my favorite team currently because I think they just – off, like right out the gate, they were the most organized. They were like the fastest just off the jump. They've got just a crazy offensive power. Um, and then like you were saying, defensively, I think they've done a really good job of being organized. But I mean, Williams, I mean, she's just unbelievable. And I think she's taken it to a whole new level with this group. But they're going to be a hard team to stop. Just offensively hard. Yeah, I mean, they... Williams and McDonald, just, I mean, the pressure that they can kind of screen balls and make sure that it's funneling down the direction that they right. want so then they can attack out of it has just been something to watch. I mean, it's a it's a bit of a master class uh, in women's soccer. Yeah, and you have Dunn that comes in. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, like, they just have firepower that's insane. Um, and it doesn't – they don't slow down. Like, they went up 3-1 and then – Spirit came back and scored, and they were 3-2. And you kind of were like, oh, they're in it. They're going to hang in this game now. And then all of a sudden, it was like, no, just kidding. And their firepower came back and scored another goal. I mean, they're just – I think they, they don't stop. They don't quit. And I think Spirit did an awesome job offensively, I think, from the jump, getting some pressure, really getting in their face about it and everything. But I think North Carolina can hang on energy-wise longer. 
Yeah, I mean that's the that's been kind of the the lesson, and I I think one theme for me of all of these four games is all these teams are coming off the international break, and so there's a lot of heavy legs, a lot of tired players, um, and I think we'll we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that in the in the New Jersey Seattle game, but they still have the ability i think in paul riley's system is they're always training fast they're always moving they're always going and i think they probably put more load on that team than any team in the league and so they just are more fit than everybody and it's yeah. not to say that hatch and pew and, and i mean andy sullivan played you know very very well over the weekend but it's there's just not enough players that can go up against the fitness level of uh, North Carolina courage. Absolutely. I agree with you. So the, another set of teams, I think that really got hit by the international break, Utah and Chicago, uh, Utah, especially, I think, uh, mm-hmm. with their internationals are all really international. And yeah. so everybody had to, cross a transatlantic flight from Faroe Islands or Scotland or England or I mean it was like I mean heavy heavy legs it's got to be a hard situation to kind of get into having had that long break but also those those flights can really take it out of you yeah absolutely I think that uh in particular Desiree Scott and Diana Matheson um obviously you would think Canada wouldn't have to go too far but coming back from France um, believe they played on the ninth, so just five days turning around and playing again. Um, and I think that really uh, hurt Utah a bit through their midfield. Um, you know, it was interesting with uh, Gilliland playing for Chicago on the their left side in the back. Uh, I thought she did a really good job getting forward, kind of neutralize the Diana Matheson, Kelly O'Hara pairing in the first half. Um, she was able to to kind of just hold them back a little bit, whereas in previous games, when O'Hara was playing, she was able to, to streak forward um, and combine with Matheson to get something going uh, on their right side. So um, between with those two, with, with Desiree Scott and Diana Matheson, um, perhaps struggling a bit after the break, um, I don't think that did Utah any favors. Um, I want to kind of point out... Uh, a couple things from Chicago. I thought um, it was interesting trying to watch their build out uh, in particular uh, in the 24th minute. Um, obviously a little different style this year, trying to build um, not as much in transition. So um, watching in that 24th minute, they, they get the ball and Sam Johnson's uh, on the left side there uh, along with Naughton and, and Nair and, and it's, they're quite low uh, as they try to build out. So um I think they struggled a little bit there and oftentimes ended up, ended up losing the ball a little bit. Uh, so in the end, though, it, it doesn't matter because three minutes later, they end up scoring quite the goal. Uh, Colaprico on some kind of volley. Um, it was an incredible strike, I thought. Uh, so really quite, uh, quite interesting as they try to build but end up with a goal in transition. So, um, so it goes sometimes, I think. Well, I agree with you, and I think you've got to – like, my thing with that game was I felt like Utah actually looked solid. Like, that was the first game I really felt like – they played well um, before the break, but I think they looked good possession-wise, and they looked productive possession-wise. Like, they weren't just keeping it to keep it. They were trying to find the holes in the back line. Um, But with Utah, I think that – their breakdown is is they have they're so fast and their offensive transition, but they weren't capitalizing. Like how many times were they getting through and it was like eh. <laughs> like it was almost there, but it was just barely missing. And I think they were they're so fast and so good at it, but I think Chicago almost did the reverse and they just did a good job of actually capitalizing. I mean, I think they hit the crossbar. I mean, they were they were actually doing a good job of capitalizing and creating really dangerous opportunities. Where I think on the flip side, Utah was really good about the fast transition in midfield to up top, but there wasn't really much from there. Like it just kind of died out, if that makes sense. Yeah, if if Youngstar yeah. can't get in behind and get on one of those balls, there's very little 
yeah, like it's not there's not much else for them to get to. There's no second wave. There's for knockdowns. There's there's nothing else right. coming, and so it's a kind of a single unit question. Like so, they're asking one question, and if that question gets answered, it's more difficult. And I'm sure as they kind of, I mean, having O'Hara for only 45 and having uh, a Rod back for 15 minutes, you know, at the end of a match. I mean, those are pieces that obviously add exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It gives you Absolutely. It gives you a second. If you get those, if you get those two going a little bit, uh, a little bit earlier, maybe uh, for a Rod and or if O'Hara can go a little bit, a little bit longer. It helps a lot. You know, it's interesting. Um, John Zetter got in three times. The first time, uh, a one v one where Johnson has a great tackle um maybe a foul some 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 people would say but no, um, Sierra's not one of those people as a former center back i say no great tackle um, yeah um and then you know she gets another header in behind onside uh later in the first half um and then in the second half in the 56th minute um actually incredibly similar to uh, the, her opportunity last week, or rather a bit ago, I suppose, um, week two uh, against the Dash. And Jane Campbell ends up getting save of the week for, uh, for a very similar play. Diana Matheson cuts in, uh, slips the ball low post uh, to Jan Sutter, running in between two backs. Um, really great running from her and great movement. Um, but again, just can't finish. Nair makes a save. So... I agree. I think it's, I mean, it's crazy. I just, I think if they get those two back, it's that game over. I think it changes the whole dynamic of that entire team. I just think that they're, they're missing that little extra juice right now. Um, and they're, they're good in transition, but once they get that piece, it switches the whole game over. Yeah. Yeah. You can, I think you can see it. Yeah. No, yeah. And it's those, those of you who are wondering, uh, the interview this week, assistant coach Scott Parkinson of the Utah Royals. Uh, so he'll have a little bit, uh, stay tuned, he'll have a little bit of something to say uh, <laughs> about the game as well um, and then what they're looking for moving forward. Uh, so stay tuned for that for sure. Uh, Sky Blue, Seattle, very, very hard game, I think, to kind of talk about and discuss. Um, but the international break tons of players kind of coming back and the weather this game <laughs> was an absolute nightmare uh i think from a just from an organizational standpoint i mean that's a difficult environment to play in um no matter who you are i mean it it looked like the weather was like you know negative 15 on the wind chill oh, by the time yeah, you finished yeah. i couldn't imagine everybody was super bundled up except for uh you know, Coach Andonoski, like he seemed like he was uh, right at home for some reason. Like, uh, yeah, but, but but everybody except for him, I think, looked as though the weather was really affecting them and their play. Yeah, I agree. Well, and they could have also wiped the camera because it was driving me nuts when I was watching the game and it was all spotty with rain. <laughs> A little bit trippy on that. Yeah. <laughs> Wild sights there with the rain. But I think, you know what, that game was interesting. I think um, Rapino's goal obviously is a PK, um, and it's clear as day. I mean, when they slowed it down, it wasn't a mistake. Like, it was a volleyball spike. Um, and I think, you know, she obviously put it away, no problem. Um, I think for me, I felt like Seattle dominated. I feel like they had a good high pressure um, they were decent in combination play, especially in the final third. They gave themselves a lot of good chances, um, but I don't think the conditions helped much. Um, now, saying that, I felt like New Jersey, for the most part, was pretty organized and compact defensively. Um, you know, one goal coming off a PK, and there was a questionable other goal that could have been a PK. Um, <laughs> so I think they've got to be careful with that, but... Um, it was, I think the weather just, it was a hard day to play. I mean, you saw some of the people that were playing that were tweeting out, like, this weather kind of sucks. <laughs> Not the result we wanted, but the weather kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the environment is, 
plays a you know, I mean it, it plays a major factor, right? I mean, so it's something to to consider for all of those out in like coach land. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like how do you recreate and how do you get players who you know, can figure out how to maybe alter the game just slightly uh, in order to deal with it. Because it seemed to me, and some of this might just be timing, some of it might be uh, environment, but Lloyd, Rodriguez, Killian, so that grouping just effectively, they were running kind of into the same channels a lot. They were you know, their ability to kind of get forward together as a unit and work off of McCaskill, Groom, and Becky was, it just lacked a, a bit of organization. And so finding those three, I mean, because that is an amazing midfield. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a very, very good midfield. And yeah. so that, if you put McCaskill kind of at the point there, now you have a, a diamond that can really actually move you can get into channels. Can you get a player like Rodriguez in behind Groom, ahead of Groom, um, you know, working underneath McCaskill? And so I think those three are probably the next iteration of improvement and just they're kind of working together to move the ball forward through the lines a bit faster, a bit cleaner uh, towards goal. Because, I, I mean, there's no reason for me why this team should not. I mean, and it's a one goal game, and I, and I'm sure Coach Reddy is probably yeah, saying well, shots it was in the, the first half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's a lack of creativity. It's, it's interesting too, in that uh, you know, on that kind of a day, you look at Seattle, a couple of PKs, right? Um, on that kind of day, you're looking at your set plays, your corner kicks, um, and so you have Sky Blue with the number of corner kicks in the first half, and they aren't even able to get a ball put into the box, it's a couple short corners. Um, so I, I think on that kind of day, you have to be a little bit smarter sometimes. Um, how do you take advantage and capitalize on those types of situations when that's kind of the way the game's gonna go is a little bit of chaos in the box, uh, some uh, balls you know, skipping around. Um, how can you make that happen and set yourself up to uh, for success in that way? Absolutely. Yeah, with now another game, our probably the game that we'll talk about, highlight game, Power two power teams, just kind of going at it. Uh, it was actually three goals. I, I could have seen six goals in this game yeah. uh, going in. But Portland Thorns uh, hosting Orlando Pride in their home opener. Uh, thoughts, Holly, on the on the Thorns Orlando match? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean. Ended up with some some exciting goals. I think if I'm Orlando, I uh, I want uh, that chance back early in the first half uh, from Kristen Edmonds uh, off the crossbar. Um, you know they end up going up. That would put them up two nil, and I think maybe it's a different game at that point. Um, but credit to to the Thorns uh, to come back. Quite the goal from uh, Lindsay Horan. Really some incredible strikes across the league this week. Uh, uh, between that one, Zerboni, uh, and then obviously Colaprico's finish. So um, I think it was was an exciting game for fans to watch, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought at times uh, there were, you know, it was, the, it was the game of variable formations, right? Um, ended up playing in a, Orlando's in a, in a three-back at times, you know, shifting both of their outside backs down, ended up attacking in like a 3-4-3 three, three with a diamond, uh, and, you know, but defending with five and, and kind of leaving uh, Naren and Weatherholt uh, centrally there, I thought that really hurt them as they won the ball. It was a, it was a struggle to tra transition and get the ball um, into LaRue, into an Alex Morgan uh, and get it forward with those three who, who really didn't have a lot of, Obagugu more so, but Morgan and LaRue, not a lot of responsibilities defensively. So uh, I thought that they struggled. There was, there was kind of a gap between you know, the, the back seven or so in those front three. So, yeah, the, the isolation for LaRue uh, seemed to keep them from, especially late in the game. I mean, LaRue was getting a lot of balls, one V three, and it just, maybe that needs to be just a slight decoy or just a slight, like taking a breath and just seeing if you can get, players closer to her if that's getting the bugaboo closer if it's get even if it's pushing them or weather holt 
just into her space five, ten more yards, that gives LaRue an opportunity to use her skills at the best of her ability. And so I don't think playing her 1v3 where she's just not a like kind of a defensive ball winner. And so those sort of 50-50 balls um, or really 40-60 balls at that point just aren't her strength. And so how do you free her up? Uh, and that probably has to come out of the midfield more with whether Holt and Nam. I think they I think Portland is really good about doing that midfield play to their forwards. I think Haran is unbelievable. And when you watch Portland's like one two touch attack when they get into that final third, they would I mean they're combining on top of the box and they're slipping and then you know they're breaking the defense down and then they finally can slip a ball in behind. And I think Orlando's kind of missing that where they're not really one-two touch on top of the box, slipping LaRue in behind. One-two touch in the box, slipping, you know, Morgan slipping a ball in. I think they're kind of missing that piece. They've got the people to do it, but I think Portland was just the polar opposite. They were, I mean, just one-two touch, Haran's on top of the 18, ping, 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 they're in behind. Um, and then that opens up space for eventually they're going to back off and Haran gets a shot like she always does from outside the 18 and finishes. Yeah, I mean, it, it... And exactly what you're talking about, really, is uh, is how bad are you missing Marta at that point? Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, like, that's exactly, I think, what what Marta would provide, right, in Absolutely. that role is the ability to put a ball in behind, to yep. push LaRue a little bit higher up the field, yep. uh, keep Morgan more free. And so now yep. Morgan doesn't have to occupy multiple center backs. And so I think it's an interesting tactical picture because we'll see if more teams start to use a three back front or a three back, you know, option. Um, this three back system, the wing back system has helped Midge purse uh, look like a phenomenal player. Uh, I mean, she, she had a good year at Boston, but this year has been a massive breakout for her. She's just higher up the field. She's engaging defensively. I think the only thing is, kind of what do they do in their own defensive third, kind of in that last little pocket of space in behind purse. And I think that's probably the one area where personally Klingenberg as kind of a world-class defender has on, on the left side that is missing a little bit on the right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, she was able to, to fly forward. I would say, uh, to counter that perhaps you know if she gets going forward so much um less of a need for her to uh to fill that space if there's just so much forward pressure there so um but i think yeah she was she was incredible to watch uh created some really good opportunities for them uh going forward i i would say too just going back i think a little bit to uh to the gap between between the lines for Orlando, uh, you know, you have Naren there who who's quarterbacking them a little bit um, and just the continual balls in behind. And I really do think that um, with Marta and even with the Pollyanna in the lineup, perhaps for them as well, um, you know, they, they have a little bit more threat uh, with the ball at their feet and you have to respect them. Um, so pull some defenders out of shape that way as they step to get pressure on Marta with the ball at her feet. So. Yeah, and that's what it would take is just a little bit of holdup in the middle third in the central channel. Uh, somebody who can play in the half space, which is necessary, and especially going against this, you know, wingbacks three five two and Haran and Bure always in the in the buildup are going to be much much closer to Sonnet. They're trying to draw players out, so the half spaces actually don't exist. In in between the backs and the midfielders they exist in between the midfield and you're sort of attacking midfield with Sinclair or, or your forward line with Lucy and Weber so it's how do you get a player in front of Haran who can occupy and slip balls through maybe in between Reynolds and Sonnet on one side with Morgan or if that's Hubley and Sonnet on the other side with LaRue or how do you work an interchange but it's getting somebody in between that space of Haran Bure and Sinclair who can put their foot on a ball, hold it up, and find where the movement is. 100%. That's definitely definitely what they were what they were missing. Uh, on the other side of things, um, you know, I thought that 
Sinclair in that space was great for Portland um, on their on their goal, on the goal that she scored, um, just coming with a later run, uh, beating there and through the midfield. And, and also I thought, you know, Orlando has a little bit of, of trouble uh, with their group at the back and that, um, you know, Presley goes over, there's, there's five of them. So the three kind of central backs there all end up in the same space and just easy goal for Sinclair to really walk in. Yeah. You can't leave Sinclair unmarked. That was a bad, bad giveaway on their part. <laughs> yeah, she's had a, I mean, she's had a couple of gifts, I would say, this year. The yes. teams are kind of wrapping them up a little bit for her. Yeah. I mean, this is, but it, you have the other kind of intriguing part, I think, about this game, just maybe me, I might be the only one, but I mean, French and Harris um, as the goalkeeping Oh yeah, uh, was something to really look at. I mean, I think you, French has developed so much into a possession-oriented uh, goalkeeper, which yeah. has been huge for Portland in the way that they build up. And so, and then Harris obviously has the ability to, you know, her shot-stopping ability, her ability to kind of control and and maintain a an organized front. Like she's just a clean keeper who keeps things in front of her. She makes it easy because she keeps things in front of her appropriate. And I think with what Holly's talking about with this back line and, you know, kind of how are they mixing themselves? I mean, Harris is a a stalwart in that area. And so her, I mean, and she played well, you know, not to say that it has a direct impact, but she, she did play well uh, in her uh, game at the, on the break for the U.S. And so yeah. I think she's starting to kind of climb, you know, the, the wrongs a little bit. And I, I was very impressed with the kind of goalkeeping duel that went on. So yeah, you know, she, Harris had a, Harris had a couple of good saves in there as well. Cause it could have been, could have been yeah. worse for Orlando. It could have been way worse. <laughs> so the four games this past week, uh, now we're starting to get into an interesting stretch where uh, we're getting some midweek games. And so now there's matches on Wednesday uh, of this week. And so with uh, two sets of matches, I believe, on Wednesday and then another full slate over the weekend. Uh, so a lot of games to cover next week on the show. And we'll probably try and uh, fly through a few. But I mean... It's it's starting to roll downhill a little bit. I think the Chicago Utah game actually looked like the earliest kind of playoff game for me. Um, yeah, you know, it's starting to look like the matchups are getting to the point where you can see maybe in you know ten, fifteen more games what this season's going to look like. It looks, I mean, right now North Carolina on top, perfect. Seattle and Portland with six points. Chicago behind them with four. Uh, Washington on three and then you've got Houston and Utah with two draws um, and then Orlando sky blue. So, I mean, you can't imagine that Orlando is going to stay down that far, which is going to make this a massive horse race uh, yeah. for the fourth, you know, third and fourth playoff spots. It looks about right. I mean, so we'll, we'll start to see how this shapes out as we go. Yeah. I'm really, I'm telling you, I'm predicting, I'm really excited for North Carolina. I just think they, Hopefully, I'm hoping they don't run out of steam because I feel like, you know, obviously, like we talked about week two, like you don't want to start the best you've ever been because then eventually you run out of gas. Uh, but I think they just I don't think that they've skipped a beat any of the weeks they've played. I think they've been at the top of their game every week. Sierra with the uh, dark horse <laughs> picking North Carolina there. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is going to move. I mean, Seattle looks very good. Megan Rapino is on, you know, the Fire. the tear of her career. Um, but there's something that I will say out there for people. Sam Kerr has not laced That's a set so of boots good. for in the NWSL yet oh. for one single minute. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be counting. I mean, that yeah. trade was... Sam going to Chicago. I mean, she's got something to prove again. 
So I mean, she hasn't laced it up at all. Every game, they're in every game all the time. Chicago does not quit. I'm telling you, it's weird, but there's somebody like I'm looking at them. They're gonna be at the top. They in every game and they never give up when they play. I'm really excited just to welcome all the Australians back. I think that they add such a quality that it'll be good to have them as they return from the Asian Cup. So, yeah, and they've they've already qualified. Um, so they've qualified for the World Cup next year. So maybe things will you know they'll start to think about what their game their league games are going to be now going on moving forward. So that will uh, take us into next week. Stay tuned, Scott Parkinson of the Utah Royals joins us for the interview this week, talking all things uh, Utah, the 19,000 fans, the the spectacle that was their home opener, uh, how that affected their game, and uh, much, much more. So stay tuned for that. Yes, and welcome back to the NWSL Rewind. We are here for the interview portion of the show. And once again, week number three, uh, we are just getting better and better guests every week all the time, talking to people who are directly related to the league, who are really have their pulse and they're making decisions week to week, uh, game to game. And so this week, we're proud to have Scott Parkinson here with us. Uh, Scott is the assistant coach for the form, newly formed Utah Royals. Uh, Scott, how are you doing today? Doing great, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, no problem. We appreciate you coming. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about, I mean, there's obviously been a ton of hype, uh, a ton of fanfare, 19,000 people at the game on the weekend. Um, just the excitement of this new endeavor um, that is the Utah Royals. Well, yeah, it was. It's been a, it's been a whirlwind from from the get go. Honestly, Clifton, um, I think probably me and you spoke when I first was getting phone calls maybe a hundred days ago. I don't even know what it was. It just yeah. <laughs> um, and to think that we had nineteen plus thousand people in a stadium yesterday, um, helicopters flying over, um, <laughs> platinum recording artists singing national anthems and. Uh, it was just absolutely crazy, but um, I think it's uh, it's it's where the need, the league needs to go. It's where the league needs to be. It's it's what the players deserve. Um, so yeah, Utah showed up yesterday, and um, it was it was one of those moments where you just pinch yourself um, constantly throughout the game. Um, so yeah, super enjoyable, and I think uh, I think the players enjoyed themselves, barring the results, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Did did you get a chance to take a moment to kind of breathe in what was happening at any point during the day? Or was it just you've got to get business going and preparation and grinding out results, that sort of a thing? Yeah, there was. There was a few moments <clears throat> just maybe setting up the field, getting close to the touchline and maybe a couple of thousand fans who were in there a little bit earlier and you know, they're all up chanting and cheering and applauding, me throwing cones and bibs out on the grass. Um, and then probably the national anthem, I think. Um, just looking around at everyone united, um, the whole spectacle of it all, that was probably a moment where um, I thought, wow, this is uh, this is super impressive. Um, and then as soon as... As soon as the girls took their stadium jackets off, it was lock-in time again and time to focus on, on our jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, that's, and I think Coach Harvey talked a little bit in her post-game yesterday about the preparation and trying to get ready even in the eye of this storm of all of the fanfare that was going on and the 19,000 people. And it's it's a new look for that team and those players. So, I mean, can you lead us into kind of what it was like in the week before um, having to play a match that you know is going to be in that environment? Yeah, I think it's hard to kind of fathom what it's going to be like. You're just kind of hearing rumours every day. We're at 16,000 tickets. We're at 17,000 tickets. So you never really quite 
able to look into the future and understand what it's going to feel like. Um, I think the one thing that we do know is that every single player in this league wants to play in that environment every Saturday. And as coach, we want to be in that environment every Saturday. So it shouldn't spook us because that's what we want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, maybe the first one can really, uh, you know, flip you upside down a little bit. But I think after... Now we got it out the way. I think it'll be business as usual. But but from from a preparation standpoint, to get back to your question, um, honestly, it was it just felt like a regular game. Um, whether it was something I was doing before I got to Utah, whether it was a college game or whether it was an NWSL game, it was it was focused on us. Um, prior uh, the week prior to Chicago, uh, we're still trying to you know, implement who we want to be with the ball, without the ball, uh, as a group inside the locker room. Um, so we focused, we had the international break. Um, so we, we lost, I think, seven or eight players um, proudly playing for the country. So uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of fitness work, a lot of focus on us. Um, and then as the start of the week come in, um, we we started to look at Chicago and kind of try and preempt what we thought they were going to do, how they were going to shape up, what their team was going to be, uh, set pieces. And Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, behind the scenes is is us looking at Chicago, um, but on the training field, uh, focusing on us. And then we kind of flipped gears. Uh, we had a day off on Wednesday, um, and then it was all about... Um, you know, what we are going to do to try and nullify them um, and then how we think we can find space and create chances and try and score some goals. Um, so that's kind of how we, we approached last week um, and that's pretty standard for us, to be honest. And so you've, in the lead-up, you two ties in going into Chicago, um, one 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 tie, I believe, and one zero zero tie. Yeah. Uh, so you're looking at trying to score more goals, trying to get in behind offensive or defensive lines, create more scoring opportunities. I mean, was that more what you were thinking or is it just we're going to kind of keep staying the course on what we're going to be about? Or were you trying to kind of change it up based on the first two weeks that you had? I think it was we have to stick to what we've been building on and try and be even better at that. And I think the only goal we've conceded prior to yesterday was um, was the penalty. Um, and uh, so we can be quite pleased with, with how we've been defending, but still we can be better. So I think it's always kind of keeping one eye on the, on the how do we look if we lose the ball and then you know, we're trying to drill a little bit deeper into, you know, how do we get the ball in the areas to cause more problems and give ourselves more chances to score. So I do think that we did try that this week and that was something that we worked on. Um, and um, But we will always have a focus on, you know, do we have good shape behind the ball to support it and, and attack? Um, but if we lose it, can we retrieve it? quickly in the right areas and, and go attack again. Um, so this week was more about attacking, um, but obviously a lot of Harvey team um, and thankfully teams that I've always coached, um, we enjoy defending. We're okay not having the ball sometimes because, um, you know, you can win it back in some, some nice areas with teams bent out of shape. So I think that'll always be one of our identities. Um, again, being a, being a lot of Harvey team. Um, but the focus probably was 60% attacking, 20%, 40% defending. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in my watching of the game, I felt like yesterday's match was probably the first game of the ones that we've seen so far this season that had the energy, the kind of back and forth there was a bit of intrigue a bit of uh you know i'm sure there was a few pits in the stomach at times during that match yeah uh, it felt and i mean i don't want to be too cliche here but it felt almost playoff like um in watching the like how important it seemed to both teams 
that what that game was about. I mean, is that am I overstating that or is is that something that you guys felt as well? Yeah, no, it's funny because I was I've been watching the game back today and it may be the red seats, it may be the nice feel, but if it if it felt like a cup final, like an FA Cup final, even just watching it back and being in there. And I think holistically that probably came from, you know, the big crowd and, you know, the first home game and the national television. Um, you know, everyone in the league was watching that game just because they knew it'd be, you know, a circus of entertainment around the game. Um, so the players were probably out there knowing that the viewership were, were either in the stadium or they were watching it on TV. Um, so it was frantic. Um, and, um, you know, from a coaching perspective, some things we liked, some things we, we loathed. But um, from the fan perspective, at least a couple that have kind of reached out, um, they were entertained by it. Um, they, they enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I would say it was probably the most entertaining game in the slate thus far. I mean, that's that's just my was my personal kind of looking at it from, you know, a 10,000-foot view. So I'll kind of move on to some of the players. And, like, I, I talked last week or last episode with uh, Coach Beard, uh, formerly of Boston Breakers, yeah. and we talked a few about some of the players, and he talked about uh, Abby Smith, and he his take is he doesn't understand why Abby Smith is not in the national pool right now. Uh, he saw her as one of the brightest, bright stars in the league right now. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on Abby Smith and her performances uh, that, that you've seen. They've seemed to me to be very, very composed, very good. Very, I mean, the goalkeeping core at Utah is obviously uh, probably one of the top in the league. And so for her to rise to the top of that definitely says something. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with a lot of what Matt said last week. Um, and, you know, I think Jill and the staff pick the best players uh, to win. Um, and she's obviously not quite there yet. Uh, otherwise, I'm convinced that she'd be in. Um, but I think Bright Spark is probably the word for her. Um she has been absolutely phenomenal day in, day out, training. Um, and I think this year, last year, there was probably a, a little bit more pressure on her. Um, she was a big name. Um, she, she, you know, she looks the part, she plays the part. Uh, and I think the focus for her probably last year was that I want to get in the national team. People are saying I should be in the national team. Um, and that was her fight. Uh, well, this year... Uh, her fight is trying to stay in goal um, because obviously she's got Barney who's chomping at the bit every day um, and I, so I think Abby's focus has probably going to switch a little bit to crap I need to make sure I stay in this team never mind trying to break into a national team um, and I think that is going to be enough to, to bring out the best of Abby um, because she knows you know Again, she's got a day-to-day battle with Barney, who's been absolutely brilliant, by the way. Um, so, so yeah, I, I agree with Matt. I think her potential is is phenomenal. Um, I don't think we're anywhere near a glass ceiling yet. Um, and she's just got to keep doing what she's doing, keep improving every day. We've got a good goalkeeper coach in, uh, in, in Jason Batty. Um, and, uh, yeah, for them, it's just fight on every day and may the best woman start. Yeah, I think obviously you guys have a uh, a roster that speaks volumes. Um, you know, Sauerbrunn, uh, we've all kind of know who Smith is. Obviously, O'Hara um, with Amy Rodriguez coming back yesterday, getting a few of those first minutes. Uh, but talk to us about maybe some of the players that we in the league, those watching the league, don't know a ton about. Um, specifically for me, Young's daughter, um, and what she's been able to do, uh, how active she's been, how dangerous she's been. I mean, she was, you know, a a big toe away yesterday, probably from finishing a goal. So I, I think 
talk talk to us about uh, what Young's daughter is means to the squad and what she's bringing to you guys. Yeah, I think Gunny, um, she is um, she is very she fits Laura um, and what Laura's trying to build. Energetic, dynamic, never say die. You know, I want to cover every blade of grass um, to a fault sometimes. Um, and, you know, we as a staff love it a bit. And I think everyone in the organization know we love it a bit. Um, and I think when people see how much we appreciate her and, and her, how she goes about her business, it's pretty infectious within the group. Um, I think the rest of the squad can look and say, well, they really seem to like what she's doing day in, day out. Um, maybe we try and, you know, give a little bit of what Gunny's given. Um, and I think no matter what squad she's in, I think um, she's just going to have that effect on people. Um, she is just like an energizer bunny. Um, her stats on on uh, high-speed running, uh, red zone, dynamic stress load, pff, it's just ridiculous. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, you know, she's just someone who gives us everything she can give us. Um, and that's all we can ask for. And, and you're right, um, she's a, a toe away and an eyebrow away from scoring a goal yesterday. Um, and uh, and even in Houston in that nil-nil. Um, so, so, yeah, we love her to bits. Um, we know that we can improve her. Um, and uh, that's a pretty scary thought um, to know that, you know, she's got even more gears to get to. That that is uh, opposition teams. Uh, I'm sure will be in high notice uh, moving forward. I mean, it's hard to think we're we're only three weeks into the season so far. So I mean, yeah. three games into you know 26 games or roughly about there. That's a uh, we haven't begun to really scratch what the level of competition it's going to be eventually. So uh, it's it's good to hear. One last uh, little thing that I'd like to try and get from coaches when we have them on is just talk to us about kind of the staff, how your staff work, how your your backroom, like what do you find are the kind of important day-to-day things um, for some of the listeners, you know, especially those who are kind of coaching out there uh, to, to put together in in – when you're doing it at such a high level? Uh, I think one of the big things that uh, I will credit Laura with is is probably um, empowerment and communication. Um, and the empowerment one I'll touch on first, it's you were hired for a reason. We trust you. We admire what you do. We admire your perspective. Um, so get your job done. Um, we're not going to micromanage you. We're not going to, you know, get in your day-to-day business. Um, you're going to go and, and get your job done and we're going to trust you. Um, whether that be a goalkeeping coach, an athletic trainer, a sports performance director, an assistant coach, Laura, the team admin, uh, everyone's trusted to kind of give their own personal spin on, you know, whatever their job duties are. Um, and then I think from a communication aspect then, which is probably the second layer, whatever we do, um, we are all in close communication, whether it's a WhatsApp group or email or daily meetings on kind of, you know, if, if, uh, if Laura plans a training session and I run it and then the team uh, sports performance wants to give us back the data on maybe, you know, how it affected the players physically. Um, we're all constantly connected um, multiple times a day to figure out, you know, how we're doing and how we do it together and how we can, you know, be at our best for the players, whether that is, you know, maybe going a little bit harder on a, on a strength day, whether that's backing off a little bit on a Monday. Um, we're all in a chain of communication here. Um, and that's something that she's kind of set up from the get-go um, so that we all know the effects of each other's job on each other and on the players. Um, and then we can make adjustments uh, appropriately to to enable the players to hopefully train at their best, live at their best and, and 
play at their best on a Saturday. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, that's the those are things uh, out there for those who are out there listening. You know, start to take some of these lessons away. Uh, I guess, uh, especially from a staff such as Utah Royals with uh, Laura Harvey leading the helm. Uh, game against North Carolina coming up on Saturday to start to look forward. Uh, what are you looking at? What do you think the fans out there should be looking for um, when they watch you play versus North Carolina this weekend? Oof, well, North Carolina, good team, great players uh, all over the place, uh, real powerful. Uh, I think me and you, Clifton, we actually got to watch them train, didn't we? And was it June this yeah, year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, Paul does a good job. Uh, he's got them fit as a fiddle, uh, ready to roll. Um, they're a team that loves to have shots, love to get balls in behind you, um, quite direct um, and, and can really play when they need to. So so it doesn't get much bigger of a, of a challenge than the North Carolina away. Um, but... I'm really, really excited for it. Um, we we are every day and every week trying to discover who we are. Uh, and until you get thrown into the fire, um, you never really know. Um, and I think two away games against two good teams that play very differently in Orlando and Houston, um, our inaugural home opener, a packed house, um, and then North Carolina away, I'd say we can probably take a look then and say, you know what, we've probably been in all of the environments that we're going to get, you know, up against this year, against four totally different type of teams. Uh, and then I think we can really say, you know, this is who we are. This is exactly what we want to do. This is exactly what we're capable of doing. Um, and then we've got a home leg of uh, a home stretch of four games. Um, so, so yeah, you know, we, we, we know it's going to be a, um, a tough, tough place to go, but we're really, really excited to get back on the training field tomorrow and improve ourselves for a couple of days, focus on them, and then see where we're at. Well, all of us here at The Rewind want to wish you good luck uh, this weekend. Uh, you know, appreciate you coming on the show and giving us a little bit of a sneak peek behind the curtain, as it were. Uh, thanks, Scott. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Clifton. Thank you. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at modernsoccercoach.com.